recording. Hello, everyone.、Uh, welcome to our podcast program, The Intersection. It is a beautiful day in Portland, and I heard it's a beautiful day in Denver as well, <laughs> because we have our friend and guest, Yuraval Diruin, join us today, and she's joining us from Denver. And I heard it's snowing. And we also have Rihanna join us today with Dalton on her lap.、Woo-hoo. Welcome, everyone.、Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh yeah, this is an audio medium, so even though I'm holding him up to the camera, they're gonna miss out <laughs> on the door. We <laughs> can see him, so that's great. Thank you for for coming to the program. You are well, and、um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure.、Uh, my name is Yurawell Deruin. I do live in Denver, Colorado. Uh, however, my home have been other places, and I'm very connected with people around the country, and find that to be part of the joy of the work I get to do.、Um, I am a consultant, and I think part of what we'll be talking about is what we do.、Uh, so I will skip a bunch of that. But、uh, the name of my consultant firm is Intersectional Innovations, and I really center on decentering domination within workspaces, organizations, groups of people. Um, looking at things like liberatory design frameworks, which I know I will mention later, and really centering restorative process, recognizing trauma-informed practices, things like that, and how we really have to center wellness, deal with harm if it has already happened, to be able to collaborate or do anything differently. Thank you. And so, as our listeners might have noticed, both URL and my、uh, businesses have the same word, intersectional. So, I think when we first connected, actually, Rihanna introduced us.、Um, I think that's why she thought we should connect. And I think that was a really good idea. And I still remember <laughs> that lovely dinner we had together. Y'all are both just dope too. So it's like you're dope. URL's dope. <laughs> I feel that right. <laughs> Which is why the dinner is so good. Thank you again, Rihanna. Yeah. So yeah, I think to kick off our conversation today, obviously we both have、uh, intersectionality in our framework. So I would love to kind of invite Yuraval to talk about、um, how how the the company name come about come about, and I will maybe also share. Uh, why did I pick、uh, my practice name, the sectional group? Because I thought that would be an interesting talking point. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually wondered that in myself, and I know you and I have talked about it. I think very lightly, so this is very interesting.、Um, you know, the cute part of this for me is that I really adore alliteration, and I am really into the written word and how you use language. So you know, I liked literally having the two eyes and that idea, which frankly came later. But it's something that I've always appreciated about it.、Um, however, where the name really came from is that for me, the term intersectionality started and started at least for me in an understanding at a much younger age when I learned about Sojourner Truth. So let's talk about you know Kimberly Crenshaw. She's the the mother and birther of this idea, this framework into the world. But it comes from what Sojourner Truth was trying to do, which was to actually help people to start breaking down the ideas of womanhood as the abolition was happening in the United States, and to step forward and say, "Hey, when you talk about freeing men and black men, and you talk about freeing women, which usually equals white women." 
where am I in this conversation? Because I am still a body that is taking on labor and harm and violence and all the things that are also being affronted to the black man and the white woman within culture. So that for me was always the part of intersectionality that really started my understanding of it, which was that often when we are talking about identity issues in this culture of America and the way we have set up uh, racial caste systems and colorism, that we often can overlook the difference in the experience of a brown and black woman or black body female compared to a lighter skinned female, right? And how the world treats them, speaks to them, expects of them. Um, you know, there's issues when we look at just like young black girls and how they are treated like women by the time they are 11 or 12 years old. They no longer get the, you know, compassion and the mentoring that a lot of other girls will experience based on how dark their skin is. So when we see that kind of- Well, not even just that, just like the grace, like the grace of well being said. like- a ding dong because you're a child. You're a like, child, right? You, yeah, it's like you're not supposed to know everything. You're not supposed to be able to sit still for everything or like enjoy this kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, you're exactly right. No, yeah, right. It's like how we have personified that black woman body, right? Which is really important. So, um, yeah, that's where that started for me. That, and I wanted intersectionality to be at the heart of everything I do because I think that is looking at it from a liberatory perspective is recognizing, right, that whatever my experience and position within my very mixed identity and unique identity, that it is still a different experience and what it means to empower someone else and to give them what they may need or to work with them and to meet them where they're at is going to be very different, right, even their understanding of the world. And if we always will recognize that we have a colorist system and a colorist society, we can always know that in spaces we should be an ally to black bodies. And I think that that is a really important aspect of intersectionality that gets lost, frankly. Um, and then the innovation part, a lot of my work is really centered on how do we create? How do we get people to feel empowered to be creators of the world around them, to recognize that someone else already made it before them? They designed it and created it for, with very specific intentions. And that's probably why it doesn't work for me and you because we were not in those intentions, right? So how do we start to recognize that and think differently whenever we're working in community or organization or group, company, whatever it is, institution, frankly? Um, and so at the center of that are the ideas that started from um, human-centered design that then led to really looking at emergent strategy and how to think from that natural perspective of the world around you and to go with what happens and work from that, find solution there. And then really the, the big centering for that is liberatory design so that we're always starting from that perspective of equity. What is equitable? Who else should be speaking up or be empowered to have space or agency or whatever that is? So liberatory and liberatory design can you just have a uh, a little bit form more formal of a definition? Because I think I understand mm -hmm. what it is, but this is the first time yeah. I'm hearing of it. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, so it was designed by smarter people than me. It's a framework that comes from the Stanford D School and um, IDOU. They created this together. And so it's take, oh, I'm sorry. It's also uh, from the National Equity Project. They're really the owners that brought the equity liberatory lens to this. So they 
co-created this idea of taking like, you know, human centered design and starting like shifting one more perspective backwards of where you start, which is to start from a perspective of equity. So to look at what are the questions and context of equity within these decisions that you're trying to make or the solutions you're trying to find? So it's a it's an actual framework, again, very similar to like the human-centered design that anyone can learn, apply, and follow. And the point is to work in relationship, in cooperation, in collaboration with others using this process so that when there is a problem, when there's a question to answer, when there's something we need a solution for, whether that is, for instance, equitable pay at work, or it's because a process that we do with our customers is failing, right? We take that same problem through the steps of the liberatory design process, which helps us to start again from a very like restorative perspective of starting from questions of equity, then trying to see and understand, right, what is happening, why it's happening, collect information and data. And then from there, start to work together to find answers that we apply as solutions, eventually coming through that as like an iterative process, right? So um, we find a solution, we apply it, we decide if it's actually working and we do that process again. That's re- that, That's a really, really cool framework. I think I'm going to have to look it up and do some research as well. Yeah, for, <laughs> yeah thank you for sharing, you know, the origin of the name of your business, um, Intersectional Innovations. Um, I think for me, uh, similarly, I, well, I didn't grow up in the U.S., so I actually learned about the concept of, of intersectionality much, much later. I think especially around 2020, right, when... Uh, Black Lives Matter, the movements really uh, expanded uh, largely and it becomes a national movement. Um, That's when I started to learn about the framework. And as soon as I understood it, because, I mean, English is not my first language, but I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of it. So as soon as I understood the word uh, intersection and then intersectionality becomes kind of a more formal term for this framework and read about uh, Professor Kimberly Crenshaw's kind of theory and her applications of it and uh, her uh, talks, you know, on YouTube, etc. I would love to see her in person sometime. I think she's a fabulous speaker. Um, but from that kind of research and study, I... I just all in a sudden, I felt like I can see the root causes much better um, because I didn't learn the history uh, of the United States very well when I was a kid. Like all we learned was 5,000 years of Chinese history. Um, even that, I didn't do a very good job. Anyway, um <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of years. Yeah. That's a lot of history. That's a lot of history. Give yourself some grace. A lot of dynasties. We did have have international history, but it was very like the surface. Mm -hmm. It's like barely scratching the surface. We just saw, yeah, all that like colonialism, the settlers and what happened. Um, But I really didn't 
have the opportunity to look into the roots of racism, the roots of sexism and colorism, like you mentioned, you are well. Um, I think China, I could, um, from a Chinese perspective, I can definitely relate to colorism because mm-hmm. um, I'm pretty fair skinned, um, even as a Chinese person. But growing up, um, my family, at least, or my peers around me, they just wanted uh, like lighter and lighter skin. And I definitely know people who are either darker or lighter than me. And there's always this continuous comparison between people, just the way they look. We experience a lot of colorism and on top of that, sexism, etc. So from that perspective, I did have that understanding. But it wasn't until, you know, starting intersectionality that I realized, oh, the root causes, right, the uh, colonialism, the sexism, the uh, patriarchy, all that white supremacy, intersectionality explains everything really well to me. Mm-hmm. And it really uh, helped my work. And at the time, like kind of like self-study and volunteer work in diversity, equity and inclusion. And then when I had the opportunity to start my own practice, I wanted to uh, work with uh, the framework intersectionality. I think I believe in it, mm-hmm. but what kind of name am I gonna do, right? So I did a bunch of research. Actually, I searched. I don't remember right now, but a few terms around intersectionality, and then and then I thought, well, intersectionality means this is more than one person's job. Uh, it has to be intersectional, which means it has to involve everyone. And I looked, you know, the company names available or uh, domain names available, and I decided. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but that's like totally legit. Like, yeah, I'm hard. not gonna pick a name that I can't get. A <laughs> it's <website> true. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, hard. I'm also practical. <laughs> well, I that says a lot about our personalities because see, I was like, I know no one's gonna be using those words. <laughs> I'm just gonna use them. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you I mean your name was probably available. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, oh man. Um, but I want to work with people, right? Like, how am I going to get a name that also shows working with people and, you know, instead of just one person, whatever, and it's boring. So I ended up with Intersectional Group, which also, um, I don't know if I shared this publicly before, is Intersectional Group makes it makes me look bigger than I actually am. Yeah. Good point. Because people will be like, you're a group, you know, I like the kind of like company type. So- okay, but still, like, you know everybody. It's it's so funny the number of people that they were like, Oh yeah, I saw that photo of you and Joe. And I'm like, you know Joe? Like at this event that we were at, it's just like you say, like, your company's not that big, but you have all of these partners all over the place. Like, you're out there. Right. Your hands are everywhere. You show up in all these photos. People know who you are. <laughs> oh, we were talking about when I picked the name. Oh, okay. <laughs> now she's a group. Now she's a group. <laughs> now it is a group. Exactly. Now maybe we're a small group, mm-hmm. but um 
but hopefully, you know, by working together and collaborating, we'll become a much, much bigger group right. and we can just do things together. Um, so, so I guess, you know, when I picked my name, it really wasn't that deep. <laughs> but what I believed in is the intersectionality framework. Yeah. And I'm just so glad that, you know, we are connected and we share the same kind of um not methodology but framework Mm -hmm. yeah values Mm -hmm. yeah no you mentioned things I didn't but I'm totally on the same page with you you know I I believe that intersectionality teaches you the root causes around domination you know versus collaboration and partnership and so what intersectionality started to teach me very quickly was that collaboration is the way forward right like you have to work with other people bringing in the varied perspectives and talents and experiences and needs to get to a true solution because that's the issues we've been building things homogeneously for very mm-hmm. few certain people. So I I think that that's actually what's exciting about the work and that's the intention I've always had too is like how to work in group and community. That's why I like to work with organizations, but it's also what's been exciting about being able to bring in and meet other professionals like yourself to help answer questions where, you know, my solution it's not as good as the solution of like three or four people that I'm working with to figure it out. And that's something you can model to companies too. You know, you're showing like, hey, having this diverse group of folks share these ideas and work together is just going to bring you a more innovative product. And in the world that we're in today, like innovation is where the money's coming from. Yep. So it's like you're, it's just like, hey, this is what you should be doing anyway to make more money. Yeah, you should be doing it because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> but yeah. if you need that little extra push, like this is what this could do for you. No, absolutely. I think especially with how much change we're all dealing with in the world, there's a lot of new questions to answer or to figure out as far as like what do people need and want. I think it's a question across every industry. So I think you're absolutely right. That's part of the reason I really like the design framework, the liberatory design framework, because I feel like that's the hump that we kind of get to a lot or the wall that stops people from continuing on is that, you know, perhaps they have a really good team of people that like to work together and that have a lot of skill towards accomplishing their outcome, but they have not actually experienced true collaboration, right? The process of design of going through and finding best solutions to problems, which always starts from a qualitative perspective of like asking people what's happening. So it's something we have to learn, right? And I agree. I think that's what this work is, is to bring that process and to help people engage in it and experience it, which makes you learn it faster than having someone else talk to you about it in a book. Uh, You have to experience it, right? So if we can get more people in a room experiencing that together, they can go back and do that with their family and their teenagers and their classrooms and their colleagues, right? And like change the way they're showing up and getting answers to questions. You mentioned um, earlier, you know, when you intersectionality and uh, use the framework to understand or interpret identity issues in the United States, you mentioned um, womanhood in the U.S., Mm -hmm. particularly you know, non-white womanhood in the U.S. So I'm curious to 
maybe learn more about your thoughts on that. Maybe expand on womanhood in the U.S. and maybe connect it with.、Um, uh, we've been talking about intersectional feminism a lot these days,、mm-hmm. and it's very, very relevant to our social movements now. So I'm curious to see, you know, your thoughts on just womanhood in the U.S. Yeah.、Um, again. There are much smarter people than me that have been talking about this. So you know, it's like name some of them. Go read Jamaica Kincaid and go read Bell Hooks and go read Gloria Anzaldúa. Like you need to go sit with these people because they've been talking about this.、Uh, some of them before I was born, you know.、Um, but I think that this framework centers in this issue of domination, and so、um, I studied. Uh, ethnic women's feminism in graduate school, and I've always considered these ideas from like a legal, cultural perspective of what is power, how is society created, why does it function in the way that it does. And I found a book a long time ago called "The Chalice and the Blade."、Um, I don't think that, or let me rephrase that. I just want to always. Say that I think it is actually missing some of the intersectional perspective that we're talking about today.、Um, you know, it's not talking about indigenous people, and actually, something I want to say very clearly: I think we often get、uh, forget First Nations women when we have these conversations. They're basically invisible in these conversations. So that's a whole other issue about this. But anyway, what's powerful about the book, "The Chalice and the Blade," and the framework that comes from it is the partnership and domination perspective, and so. Through an anthropological and sociological perspective, it shows us in history how society would go through ebbs and flows. It would be a partnership society where、uh, the skills and the values that women bring to a culture were actually seen as important, and so roles were based on skill, right, and what you could offer the community, not based on things like accumulation of wealth. Um, when we get to domination societies, we see all that shift, right? We shift very hard towards、uh, patriarchy or what we call colonialism,、um, actually just taking and using what is around as resource to have more for yourself and accumulate power. And so there were a seasons of history that went through both of these patterns of partnership and domination, and eventually. Domination proceeded, and now we are thousands and thousands and thousands of years into domination across the world. We have not ebbed and flowed in a long time. So I have deeply held that idea with me because I think, again, getting back to that intersectional perspective of women's、uh, lived experience, on the bottom of that domination scale, always whether it's colorism, class, sexism, whatever we're you know ism we're living in. Um, always, the feminine is at the bottom. So, when it is a black female, they are invisible, right? When it's an indigenous First Nations female, we don't even ask her or understand where she lives or what she's thinking or what she's doing. So, that issue of like white feminism, where we are only focused on the dominant female experience in the United States, for instance,、uh, that is where I think we lose that. Intersectional perspective. We're not working towards collaboration, and we are still centering dominant culture, right? Domination culture. So that is, I, I feel like I could kind of stop there because I'm blabbing on, but that is, I think, a lot at the heart of how I think about intersectionality. I think about my own identity and the levels of、um, 
undervalue I receive in society and silencing as well as how much space I'm allowed to take up because I'm a lighter skinned brown woman, because I'm an educated brown woman that speaks well, right? So there is always at play those power dynamics for me and my my recognition and my consciousness of what's happening. And I think that those are the kind of deeper conversations we've got to get to within our intersectional feminist discourse around what is actually happening right now, the multiple identities of woman X within our group, and how are we actually showing up to dismantle those kind of dynamics that lead to domination? Yeah, the more I think about it, um, you know, the domination culture, the more I think it really is about, um, well, uh, maybe one step back first. I think the... The core of capitalism, of course, is uh, colonialism and uh, patriarchy. Um, and all these isms and systems are, they are sending our message. It's like, I, I'm the man, right? Like, I get to dominate you. Like, I have the power. I'm going to control you. And there's like very little uh, for um, feminism to exist to, to begin with, I think. Um, maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't know. I'm sort of just thinking out loud. But I think because capitalism is so um, kind of masculine and also it tends to dominate, I feel that's why it is operated with the scarcity mindset because it is trying to guard whatever resources and assets and um, valuables. Like It's like, this is mine. It's my treasure. And so I think because of that, because of the domination nature, because of the kind of the um, toxic masculine nature of capitalism, we as a society, um, oftentimes globally as well, we are just running around and trying to protect our gold, our resources. And Mm -hmm. so everyone is sort of scared, but no one is willing to admit that they are scared. And when we are scared, we do things that harm people. And um, and the worst scenario probably is what's going on right now, which is genocide and uh, deforestation, mm-hmm. both of them happening at the same time. So I feel, you know, we may not be able to touch on all these huge issues right now. But I think listening to you, you are well talking about domination issues and with the things I've been thinking about, you know, as we close to end of year is mm-hmm. how can we relearn the mindset of abundance mm-hmm. and practice it? And I think in a way, the practice of abundance mindset itself is anti capitalism is anti-patriarchy and anti-colonialism because if we practice and believe that we have enough for everyone then I think in itself it's a movement even if it's quiet um so I don't know so I feel like maybe by practicing intersectionality is 
practicing the abundance mindset. Mm. Um, but I also feel it's so vague. So I don't know <laughs> if I'm, you know. I love okay. Well, let me jump in really quick because I have an engineering background and like I've been, I work in this space and like I do what I can. And, but I just felt like I walked into a graduate level class and I'm still in high school with the way you're talking about everything. And, you know, it's like, we're recording towards the end of November and it's that like holiday season where (laughs) you're going to be at the dinner table with like, you know, some of these wild ass relatives that you might have. So how do you take like, the kind of stuff that you're talking about mm-hmm. and like bring it down so that it's at a more accessible level, um, you know, for folks who are having that feeling and like, you know, cause what you're talking about and mm-hmm. how you show up in the world and how intersectionality can explain all that people feel that, mm-hmm. you know, and when you learn about it, all of a sudden it's putting language to that feeling that you have. Yeah. So how do you, how do you help folks see that, have that language, you know, in these settings where folks just don't have that level of understanding? Well, I really appreciate what you were talking about with the abundance mindset. And I, my brain kind of obviously is different than Rihanna, but uh, kind of jumped to what you're talking about is like what's the application you know, like, <laughs> well, how, how do you apply that? that? Like, no, that's how I, I my brain went there. Face, like, how do I use this? No, because you're like, how do you, but I think that's what you're saying to us in a different way that my brain said, right? Because my brain said, how do we apply that? And you said, yeah, what does this mean when I sit down at the dinner table? You know, it's like a very good question. Uh, actually, something I want to share to answer part of this question, I think it just centers in community. Like, I think it's about us building community, like actionable intersectionality is living in community, which is actually the hardest thing to do, right? Because community does not mean Republican or Democrat. Community does not mean white or black or female or male, right? Like it actually means like the family you choose, the family you're in, the people you live around, whether or not you agree on anything, you know, what is community? Um, I was, the other day I was, uh, coming out of a boba shop, one of my favorite places to be. And, (laughs) you know, a quintessential Coloradan, Caucasian, tall, white dude got out of his large truck and started to walk to the boba shop. So I held the door open for him. And I got the most grateful response from him. It actually, like, was a little surprising, and I appreciated it. But he just had a huge grin on his face. Like, no one had opened the door for him probably in a really long time and was just said, thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Because this is Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And, you know, it reminded me that there's probably like a hundred things that guy and I don't agree on. You know, Um, I'm not a big truck fan. We could just start there. I bet he loves his truck. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) you know, we had a beautiful moment because we are part of a community. And I think that thinking about that and how to engage in your community, sometimes the community you don't agree with, you know, I have a lot of family that we don't know, we don't agree on politics. We do not vote for the same people. We have very different thoughts about military and war and things like that. We do agree on uh, respecting and taking care of our veterans, you know, stuff like that, but there's difference there. But the real heart of all this work is that 
proactive, longitudinal thinking about the next generation. And so in that, how do we build community now? And so I think part of it is is centering like, what kind of relationships do you want with people? And if you don't want to be in relationship with them, there's different actions and intentions to set, right? There's some boundaries and different steps to take. But if you want to be in relationship with them to consider how do you actually build trust and continue to build positive relationships, um, centering that space, frankly, but then also being prepared and thoughtful about the conversations you know that you might have. And so how do you have those again from that space of wanting a positive relationship with them, right? Because if I want a positive relationship with you, I'm going to watch my words. I'm probably not going to yell at you, right? I'm probably not going to threaten you. There's going to be a lot of things that are come out differently for me if my intention is what I want is to be in relationship with you. So I don't think that that necessarily answers all of Rihanna's question, but I think it's part of like where we have to start to think about being yeah. in, in an intersectional mindset. Well, first, if I'm ever late for dinner, like you can yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> you can let me know. <laughs> but, but I do think it's really important where it's like, this isn't a conversation that you have at a dinner table once or twice a year, right? you know, and explain this, like you make, you build that feeling and that like through community, you know, and that was really highlighted in the last podcast episode that I was doing with Joe with the Mujita and the way that she has been so, what ferociously building community in Portland, a community of black women, like mm-hmm. you would not believe it. You're well, the awesome. magic that this woman has brought to the city. So next time you're here, you will have to meet, but yeah. Yeah. It's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And that is her way of living and supporting intersectionality. So putting it that way, it's very, you know, I did, I would not have made that connection without that. I feel the interesting thing about intersectionality is many people are already doing it, but they just don't say it's intersectionality. Yeah. And I think people with intersectional identities tend to um, practice it and understand it, even, even if they had never heard the term. They are already doing it. I think it's because of the multi-dimensions and the multi kind of facades people have when they have like very kind of um, multiple different identities and acknowledge that because not everyone can see for who they are like not everyone is willing to admit oh this is who I am and when people can see their intersectional identities I think they intend to be able to for one you know be more compassionate because mm-hmm. I think people with um, less kind of identities, for whatever reason, maybe they are just not acknowledging it. Maybe they are not seeing it. If they have a kind of like a more simplified identities, um, it may be limiting because they won't be able to see the many, many sides of things and life. So I feel like for folks who have... Um, 
experiences from kind of different aspects of life or have gone through multiple journeys in life. Um, maybe, and also, I think sometimes it's just lucky, you know, like sometimes if we can see something for what it is, we are pretty lucky. So with a little luck, maybe we'll be <laughs> able to practice, you know, like like yeah. you, you said, you are well, action, actional intersectionality in community. Well, you know, one thing that you said, you were talking about folks with simple identities and I don't think anybody has a simple identity, Agreed. but what I do think is that there are a lot of people who aren't allowed to have more than a very simple identity without it going against what is acceptable in the, in, the, in our world, in our culture. I you know, well said. You think of like, you know, I'm in, um, I'm background is mechanical engineering, married to a white man. Like there, you are not, supposed to have you know like feminine affects in any Mm -hmm. kind of way Mm -hmm. like that's not allowed even though like everybody loves like things that are considered feminine like you love to be taken care of right you know Mm -hmm. you love to be like pampered and that's kind of self-care but you're not allowed to admit it Mm -hmm. you know in the same way Mm -hmm. and i just like one thing that's so helpful with intersectionality is like opening this door and you know one way that I saw it was I was at a uh, a DEI training I don't know a while back for another company and part of the activity was list all your identities and all of the women had these like long lists <laughs> friend mother sister artist it's just on and on and on and then it was like some of the men were like white man Maybe father was in there, but it was, it was incredible, you know, like they just didn't even know that even like, yeah, it was just, it's very, it's very interesting. And I'm wondering, because again, y'all are the experts, like what does (laughs) having people like open their eyes to and accepting the fact that they have these other identities, like how does that help? Well, I think that's why patriarchy hurts white men the most. Like white supremacy and patriarchy combined, yeah. they they hurt white men the most, mm-hmm. even though they may never realize that. Like they could be hurt the, their entire life without realizing it because they they just never realized they could have all those things. They just never realized, oh, I could have a spa day too. You know, it's like I have to be very tough. I have to be very strong. I have to be all these, like, I have to check all these boxes to be a strong man and oftentimes a strong white man. So I feel like, you know, these, these whole system, the colonialism, uh, capitalism, all those white supremacy and patriarchy, they are hurting men as well. And which I think is actually a very serious issue in our society, mm-hmm. but it's being uh, it's being hidden and no one wants to talk about it and i think that's really hurtful and i think another kind of practical way maybe to practice intersectionality is to prioritize um health and wellness you know so that people can take care of themselves i think you are well you mentioned that at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the 
conversation is is wellness. Like how how can we make it accessible? How can we make it something um, that everyone is not afraid of talking about? Like mental health, right? Like I gonna take a mental well being day. I can't deal with this right now, so I'm just gonna go take care of myself. But how many people can actually say that out loud? Um, so I think maybe one thing we can. Um, maybe at a dinner table is, hey, how about we just do a family spa day, you know? And I don't know, everyone, let's just go go get a pedicure. I love you, Joe, but I will disagree with yeah. patriarchy hurting white men the most. <laughs> uh, well, it doesn't hurt them the most. Maybe, yeah, it it definitely hurts them. Oh, absolutely. That's the thing, and that's the thing. It's like you are. Like, man, you just, the more you prescribe to this, the more you're signing up for that hurt and that sadness and that pain. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I wouldn't say the most, but I would definitely say it hurts them. I think it hurts all men and women and everyone. And I think what it keeps you from is self-actualization. You are not your whole self. You are not a happy person. You are not a well person, right? That is what wellness is supposed to get you to. Wellness is not pampering, which is great when you can do that to your point. Um, I love pampering. I need to get my nails done very often to be a satisfied person. However, that's not my wellness, right? My wellness mm-hmm. is literally my emotional, mental health, my nervous system regulation, the health of my body. I mean, it's literally healthy poops. You know, like how many people are having that every day in America? That's a privilege. Not a lot of men. Definitely not a lot of men. Yeah. So, <laughs> but in general, America, like, that's not how oh, people yeah. are living, you know, and to your point <laughs> of the privilege, it has yeah. to do with diet and food access and all these things. So, yeah, I think imperialism, yeah. patriarchy, colonialism, whiteness, it keeps you from self-actualization. It's made boxes for people. And most people have been forgotten, left out of those boxes. And the people stuck in the boxes aren't satisfied either, you know, to the points we've been making. Um mm-hmm. I think that wellness is the key. I think that harm, like looking for where harm lies. So, you know, part of this like dinner table conversation, part of the problem is, you said this, Rihanna, it's not a two dinner a year conversation, right? This is a trust building relationship process throughout our lifetime. So to have the trust to sit down and even have these conversations, like the three of us do have trust between us, you know? We're trusting the listeners as well, um, but we've built we've built trust, and so we can have conversations that perhaps other people can't, or we wouldn't even with certain individuals. There's certain individuals I would not sit in a room with and try to have this conversation with. It wouldn't work, right? So I think in our families and our friend relationships, we have to look at that too. Like, is there harm? You know, do you guys have really unresolved issues in your relationship? You probably aren't supposed to be talking about feminism. You need to deal with the harm. And then you can get to trust and then you can actually collaborate and talk and discuss and learn from each other. Um, and I think that's like an issue across the board, right? Is like how much harm are people living in, in our relationships and in our work experiences? And where the harm is, we don't have wellness. So how do we build in more wellness and do that long term, right? Because really, if I support someone I love, It's not about – it is. I mean, it feels good for me when they feel good in my presence, but that's not actually love. Like my love is to see them flourish all year, Mm -hmm. right, which might mean like literally helping them 
figure out a diet plan that works for their body. And by diet, I don't mean reducing calories, but eating <laughs> nutritional plan. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, your lactose intolerance. Exactly. That dairy, that's wrong, that- right? And that's wellness. <laughs> exactly. Like stop eating cheese and ice cream every day. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally agree. And wellness definitely cannot be and should not be simplified as just, you know, like, go get a spa and, you know, go get a facial, etc. It's it's your, um, it's your being like you as a person, you your being, are you well? Like, Mm -hmm. are you doing? Are you? um, Are you being healthy? Just in general? Right. one thing, you know, when it comes to dinner conversation, I feel like maybe the best thing we can do at the moment for certain people is to not participate. And I think I think that could be good for someone's well-being too. And I think people wow. should have that option, right? Like, you know what? I'm I'm just not at a very good place to engage right now. I I may come to dinner, I may not, but for my own well-being, I can't participate right now and I I think that that should be allowed yeah. as well. Boundaries are always the first place to start. What do you need? How do you stay yeah. good? How do you also not screw yeah. your hurt on other people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the question. So, okay. So the both of you are focused on this work, but in the context of organizations and companies. Mm -hmm. So how do you have this idea of wellness, this idea of intersectionality? How do you like a explain that to a company to the point where they understand that it's important and they want to engage in that way. And then once they're at that place, like what do you even do? Like, how do you even start that work? Good question. You want to go, go, you can go ahead. I, yeah. Okay. Um, I think for me, one pretty practical thing that I do with my uh, partners, I try to call them partners instead of clients these days. Um, It's a little awkward at first, but what I do with my partners, I think, Rihanna, you mentioned earlier, is to talk about our identities. So I invite the partners I work with to think about their intersectional identities. And one, the, the, the ones that come up right away, they surely are your identity. And then think about the ones that uh, are not so obvious. And then think about what other people think who you are. And then, and then think about what are the kind of the identities you just never think, never talk about, but you think about. So just to think about uh, intersectional identities and then put them down. You don't have to share publicly, but most importantly, that is that list is for you and that that list can change over time. So I think from there, people will start having some like a deeper understanding of themselves and then we'll be able to kind of work together and talk about the the sometimes it's a training sometimes it's a workshop sometimes it's a facilitation etc or like a, a a group conversation then from there we can talk about the communication styles or the issues we run into and i feel oftentimes people's identities indicate um people's communication styles and the way they work with other people. And sometimes that will tell us why something isn't working. 
is because mm-hmm. yeah, it's because、uh, something is not connecting in their communications because they literally are just so different. Or sometimes we can find out. You know what? We may look very different, but we are actually more similar than we thought. So from those points, you are like, "Oh, you like that too? Yeah, me too." Then you can start, you know, the go going back to the relationship thing. Then you can go back to building trust and building meaningful、mm-hmm. relationships,、um, because you realize how different and similar people are at the same time. So I like. I like to go from there, like which is intersectional identities. Yeah, that's that's my kind of a little trick. I love that. That's so. Yeah, you don't want to give it all away for free. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> if I told you, you know, I'm the person who does it. <laughs> you know, I have found that.、Uh, All of the people I work with are very different, but they came to me because they were already on some kind of journey within their organizations. They had already started DAI journeys, whether that was two years or six years ago. They had already done restorative work. You know, something had happened where they were already doing a lot of this work, and now they were at a point where they wanted to continue and realize what you should realize when you do work called diversity, equity, inclusion that. It goes a lot farther than like catching everyone up on history, you know. So once they get past that, often what happens is either they're ready to shoot farther down the road, and they see that my my narratives around anti domination and working together in collaboration really resonate with them, and they want to bring that into the space through education,、um, or through workshops, through you know leader development and coaching things like that. And then on the other side, what I find is organizations are interested in working with me because they've started that journey and they've now kind of hit a, ro- a roadblock of harm, right? Like relationships aren't working. There's conflict. A lot of stuff got put on the table about people's experiences, and it, they don't know how to resolve it. It's not going anywhere, right? It's not getting fixed.、Um, and so now they're at this next stage again of DEI work, needing some support in that. And so、um, I. Do some similar stuff as what you were already sharing, which is I won't go into that intersectional stuff because it's very similar. But part of my process includes that, but is also doing what I call like a restorative design analysis. And so what I'm looking for, again, in a different, similar way, is where the harm is and where the synergies are. What are the synergies of outcome that people are wanting? And what I have always recognized in my life, growing up in multi-ethnic, multi-racial families and climates, is that most people want the same things. <laughs> They have very similar desires, you know. And so, what I try <laughs> to show people is that, yeah, like whether or not you like each other, or you think, or there is harm that has happened, you usually have the same desires, very similar outcomes or synergies within that. So, how do we get to that? And that sometimes. First, having to address some harm or conflict or things that have happened, then so we can get to that space of exactly what was already shared: looking at ourselves, looking at multiple aspects of identity and need within collaboration, and then using that liberatory design process to actually start creating differently, working together differently. So this is kind of. Uh, I wish I would have brought it up earlier because, like, it seems kind of out of sequence at this point. But 
Um, you know, Eurowell and I, we've known each other for a long time and you were working in the DEI space at an institution. So you were the the person that was trying to initiate change at an organization. And I think all of us have tried to do that in one way or another, all of us meaning Joe and I, um, and just got to the point where we're so frustrated, beating our head against the wall. And it's like harmful. And I've had like people come up and say, hey, we have these positions available doing similar work to what you have been doing at a specific institution. And my answer is always absolutely not. (laughs) And can you talk about, and so I bring this up because when I heard about your consulting company and when I heard about the work you're doing, it, you sound happier and lighter and younger and hopeful compared (laughs) to when, like eight years ago when you're like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. Can you, yeah, I mean, so can you explain like, like maybe how you were feeling in those spaces from before and then kind of why the consulting has been so good for you? Yeah, I'm happy to share. It's a good question. Um, I think that any job you take like this, frankly, a DEI job, a leadership type, you know, senior leadership director, VP, whatever that falls into you really should look at it with a time limit. I think there honestly should be seen like a social worker's job. Like you shouldn't plan to be there for 10 years because to your point, it's going to be harmful. Like you are literally choosing to step into a space where harm lives, violence lives, hurt lives, um, and to bring some hope and some change to that through working with people, you know, and then working through processes and things like that. So, um, I think that's just one thing to say about it. Like, I think burnout is just inevitable when you take on these kind of roles. And so it's something wow. to consider. I don't think I've ever heard anybody ever say that. Like, burnout's inevitable. So plan around, like, plan for Literally, it. Literally, like, plan, plan to, you know, go work for yourself for a couple of years in between each of those big jobs that you take in institutions, right? Like, I really do think we need to have, again, an innovative, realistic view of what this work is. And I also think that's part of the reason the work is not taken seriously is because people don't quite understand what people are actually taking on, right, or what they're choosing to do when they take on these roles. Um, And I I also think we have a lot of harm created because we expect one person to do that within institutions, which is just, you know, insane. insane. Exactly. It's insanity. Uh, It doesn't make any sense. And it's just as insane as the fact that we'll have one social worker in a city to thousands of children, right? Like, insanity. So yeah, I think this is very similar in some ways, which is also where I think the miss can be in this work where people don't realize they're supposed to be change agents. Change isn't simple. It's not unmessy. It's not uncomplicated. It's not uncomfortable, right? It's all these things. So um, I've experienced that in many of my roles. (laughs) And Rihanna saw me experience that in one of them when I moved on. And I think Uh, What is different, which I am just an example of a lived experience in America within the last especially like four years, is that women continue to leave, brown and black women especially continue to leave corporations and spaces to work for themselves because working for ourselves is where we no longer experience those microaggressions and oppressions and patriarchal experiences every day, you know? In my last job, I ended up having a new manager who was a man of color. And I will just say very clearly, I have never experienced such patriarchy and dominant type oppression from an employer before or a supervisor. 
And I was supposed to be working in a literally restorative group of people (laughs) in a job. Um, And they brought in someone who was not restorative at all, who literally came from policing and militarization and a very dominant perspective. So when you don't have to deal with those microaggressions and that power dynamic of someone trying to be over you all the time and kind of just kind of step on your back and push down your head and silence you a little more, you can live in more joy, right? That's like freedom and liberation in and of itself. So I definitely experience that on a daily basis. I have more control about even the times of day that I work. You know, I have always been a night person. I've had insomnia since I was probably like 10 years old, which I need to rephrase that. I have really healed my insomnia, so I sleep now. But uh, I'm definitely a night person. My brain is awake and more creative and interested in the night. And I can control now like what that means for me. That can mean I don't start anything the next day till one o'clock and I work all afternoon, right? Because that's when it's better for me. Um, I can have space to also have a uterus. Uteruses run the female brain and hormone system. And so to be able not to like hide how I'm feeling and to take space for that, that's wellness for me, you know, to be again, my whole self, (laughs) Uh, which is all of that. And so, yeah, I think in uh, different spaces, you don't experience that. I think there's a lot of pressure put on you if you're the only equity, justice, inclusion, belonging person in a group, you then are carrying the weight of all of that on you which again is why I think consultants are really important because they can help disseminate some of that weight and that work, you know, and and help organizations think about it differently because it's so much that they put on usually one or two individuals. And I don't have to experience that now. I get to kind of live in more of a collaborative, joyful space because I work for the most part with people who want to work with me, you know, which you also don't experience in a large institution. You're literally fighting at every turn to get people to trust you and to be influenced by you. Um, And again, as a woman, getting men's influence is hard. Uh, They're not taught often to even like hear you, right? To hear your tone of voice in a room. So uh, to now be in spaces where people want to hear me, they've invited me in, they want to work with me. It it brings a different type of feeling to it. I can relate to that (laughs) so much. Um, But of course, um, uh, we can talk more about that another time, which I think we should bring you all back in 2024 and maybe have another chat. Um, I would love that. Just, like, know everything. Yeah, we're almost, almost at time. And I definitely feel this isn't finished. I personally feel like we not can. a once or twice a year conversation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, URL, you have to come back and um, and we'll continue our conversation. Um, Thank you. Is there any, uh, as we wrap up, can you share where do people find you and how people contact you? And follow your work. Yeah. um, Honestly, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn because all of my links are there. I have a website, intersectionalinnovations.com. You can also connect with me there. Um, And I'm uh, 
one of those people that's always excited for connections. So I think all my information is pretty available, like email and all of that. So please do reach out. Cool. Yeah, we will share your um, email. Ad- oh, sorry. We will share your website address and your LinkedIn link in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you.